The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Tuesday night edition of the pod and wanted to bring on my favorite newly minted author, Ethan Strauss, the author of The Victory Machine. Does it have a subheading? I, I forget. Uh, the Making and Unmaking of the Warriors Dynasty, Nate. Yes, yes, indeed. There is a subhead. Unless I screwed that up, because that was from memory. I mean, I might have screwed up my own subhead. Who knows? Did, did they, like, want you to have a subhead? I like having a subhead. I can't remember who suggested what. I'm I'm a fan of I'm a fan of the subheads. One subhead I suggested that was rejected in the process was uh, something to do with the disruption of the dynasty. Just because I thought that was a, a fun, sly Silicon Valley uh, ease phraseology <laughs> there. Um, but that one that one was on the cutting room floor. Yeah, that, that's all right. Uh, unmaking is good. It's like it's, it's not necessarily a word that is used in normal conversation. But that's okay. Like people, people can understand it. I unmade myself. I unmade myself a sandwich. Yeah, Uh, yeah. It's it's not a common phrase, I suppose. Um, Uh, Would that just be like eating the sandwich? uh, Yeah, or giving it to your dog, perhaps. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) it's an unmade sandwich. Um, Yeah, I I had a sensitivity to pissing off Warriors fans too much, though. I I think that's one of the reasons why I favored disruption, just because it was a little. It was a little opaque versus when you say unmaking, which frankly is true. The dynasty is unmade, but there's a little bit of defensive Warriors fan slash Clay Thompson who's saying the dynasty ain't over um, whenever he pops up on social media. So I was a little bit I was a little bit concerned about that. Yeah, and it, your sales have been really awesome, at least uh, based on your self-promotional tweets. Uh, which, which is, that's actually—I mean, that—that that is truly the only way I, I have any idea of, of how well it's selling. Uh, um, but, but no, I mean, obviously, ever the oh, you're promoting yourself on Twitter, like, yeah, no, no that's, shit. That's that's, that's, that's what, what it's for, actually. So it's for it's not it's not it's not for uh, to parent me or to uh, give me affirmation necessarily. But yeah, you know, I got. It, best-selling sports book in America, which was pretty cool. I don't know what that means overall. I mean, it's a crazy situation where they say we'll talk sales numbers in six months, and it's a weird situation where the book, I believe, was more talked about because of the quarantine, but there's also, I've got inventory uh, in thousands of bookstores around America, I think, collecting dust right now. So I don't know what happens in the end but it's not about the money for me so much as i like money like everybody likes money i I, i'm happy to see it talked about i'm happy to see it get there yeah unlike nba players you're uh you're doing it for the (laughs) the love of the game the pure love of the game right i mean sure (laughs) sure it's all a myth uh with with those nba players they're really doing it for uh for the money and the status but you 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 know you're uh you're just You'd do it for free. Look, I don't tell my <laughs> wife, but it's also it's also the women. You know, I want to be I want to be in that realm of uh, you know sexiest men alive, like uh, Sam Smith and David Halberstam. You know, I want to look. That's <laughs> what we're going for here. <laughs> well, so you you mentioned that in the book, obviously one of the things that you talk about is you know, that. There are some myths. I mean, you've, you've been very upfront about this in various other forums as well, and that this idea that, hey, everyone on your team loves each other, and you've got this camaraderie and this joy, and like that's like the myth that fans want and maybe even need to believe when they're supporting the team and spending all this money on tickets and watching on TV and cheering when the ball goes in and all this stuff. But were you concerned that by peeling back the curtain on that, that you at the same time would leave readers who bought into that myth 
dissatisfied that that you're telling them something that they don't want to hear? Yes. Oh, completely concerned about that. And because you look at most sports books, they're a celebration of a player or a championship season, and I'm not denigrating that at all. And I think those books certainly have their place, and there are inspirational aspects to great seasons. Um, but ultimately, my my lodestar is to go with what I'm interested in. And my idea is if I'm interested in something, then I can theoretically get other people to be interested in something. And so that's what I that's what I went with, because that's what I saw. And you never know, you never know, you know, maybe you hit upon something that other people weren't talking about, and it gets really big, and it resonates. Or maybe you're just serving people a food they don't want, and it gets rejected. But yeah, I was certainly concerned that it would be the latter, um, all the way through the process. You know, is it possible that to be a good sports book, it just has to be more negative than just the normal coverage is because they want if if there's anything awesome about this team that's something that everyone wants to get out at the time right like the the, for the information to be new it almost by definition has to be stuff that people didn't want out there yeah i mean that is what's that's what's tough too is that you're always trying to put out something that's interesting and for something to be interesting and not be known it's typically because there are people who don't want it known i mean that's typically why and i've seen it happen again and again where uh, a fellow sports writer will write a story that goes huge and is great career-wise and maybe at the athletic gets a ton of subscriptions and you would think that they're just they're just reveling and resting on their laurels but actually they're just cleaning up the shit storm of angry people who are calling them um and bitching to them behind the scenes so uh, it, unfortunately it's an unfortunate unfortunate occupational hazard and I I like my job overall and you can only complain so much but that's that that's a lot of the worst part of it is the aftermath of sharing stuff that people don't want shared. Have you encountered any of that with this book? I know you talked about that a little bit on, on the uh you know I I heard you might have done one one other podcast to, uh, about the book. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would so never I, yeah, I would I, never I cheat on you. I would never cheat on you, Nate. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, they, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, there's I, I been... Mean, well, let, let me ask yeah. you this. Let me ask you mm-hmm. this. Yeah. A, a slightly different question. Has any of the blowback that you've gotten been fair, or do you think those people are just kind of, you know, being crybabies about it? Um, I have to be honest. I haven't engaged too much in the blowback. I haven't plugged into it. I'm aware of it. Um, if I see a good tweet, I'll typically retweet it. If I see a bad tweet, I start just checking out immediately because... I don't want yeah. to get in well, my own well, head about, about it. from the people who are from people who actually have a stake in the. Event, oh, oh. The book. I, I mean, I, I don't, are you talking about Larry? Are you talking about Larry Riley? Are, are you talking about Larry Riley going on the on the radio and and contradicting uh you know my stuff on the Chris Paul on the the Chris Paul non trade? Um, I mean, yeah, well, or, or or anything else. I mean, people who, you don't have to say who it is, but people who've gotten back to you uh privately uh, about some stuff and either any of these like hey you know this person actually has a point you know know, i wish i had said this differently or uh are they all just you know kind of there's been less there's been less blowback there's been less blowback than i i would have expected um and maybe that will come later yeah you know kevin durant has maybe one day he'll say something about it maybe he'll have a good point i i don't know um i'm awaiting it i'm actually thinking of doing a podcast with bogut uh, who, you know, I'm pretty friendly with him, but he didn't inform much of the book at all. And so I was thinking about doing a podcast where he'd read it and tell me everything I got wrong from his perspective. And I think he's in the middle of it so far, and I haven't really heard. The only complaint I've heard is him bitching that it's my voice on the audiobook and not somebody who should be doing that professionally. <laughs> That's the only note I've gotten so far. So maybe that will come down the line. Um, but it hasn't been as much blowback in private as I would have expected. Well, so do you think that KD has, like, does he, you know, obviously your uh, struggles with him are well documented, <laughs> both publicly and even more details in the book. I mean, not necessarily you going back and forth to him, but his being upset at some of the things that you reported, et cetera. Like, do you think that, and not that you've heard from him directly, but like, do you think he has any right to be upset with you if you're really looking at it objectively 
or or is he is his uh his criticisms of you is that just irrational in your mind um i guess if i have to really think about it I don't think it's fun to be written about. There, there's a funny thing that happens when sometimes I reach out to a reporter or a writer and I ask to interview them. Suddenly, they're, they're, it's, it's a, there's no honor among thieves thing where there's just paranoia and there's just, wait, what's uh-huh. it for? What's it for? Like, what kind of story are you doing? Like, how, wait, how's it going to be? And it's hilarious because we're constantly asking other people, but once we're under the gun and once we're being written about, and I do the same thing, um, we don't like it either. And so I look at it mostly of a function as a function of, you know, I, I don't know what the particular gripe might be. I know what he said in the press conference. Um, but overall, I'm sympathetic to the idea of not wanting somebody to write about you and in general, um, sympathetic to the particular predicament that he is in. Now, I don't think that earns me many points with him and he might have other issues, but I also try not to worry about that so much as I'm trying to think about the reader and trying to prioritize what the reader might get versus, I don't know, rich and famous people being mad at me. So um, I guess that's a long way of saying that I wouldn't be surprised if he has a good point or a legitimate gripe, um, but until he evinces it, it's kind of hard to know. And really, you're leading me down a path of angering him further because one of the things that he is uh, most commonly cited as an annoyance is that I am speculating on his motivations and his thoughts. So yeah. <laughs> I would ironically be doing just that by trying to speculate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's always fair to try to put yourself in somebody's shoes. And I am I'm could not imagine what it would be like to be written about in a negative way. Fortunately, like any, the few times that I've ever been, you know, had like an article written about me or something, it was, it was positive. Certainly there are are plenty of people, you know, that is like related to me. And there's plenty of like blogs that'll just like crap on my opinions about uh, the local team or whatever, or like come at me on Twitter. And even that, you know, when that first started happening, I I thought it was really, it was difficult to deal with it because like, especially if you're a competitive person, like an athlete, you're like, I'm not going to let them do this to me, right? Like, I'm not going to let them portray me in this way that I don't think is fair. That isn't actually the way that I am. And no- nobody is, is going to have the perspective to be like, ah, eh, you know, I guess they got the one right. All right. You know, that's uh, can't, can't argue with that one well, with this article, like this article that's like crapping all over me is actually true. Like, you know, very, very few people are kind of, well, see it that way. It, it hurts most when they're correct in their criticism and it's most infuriating when they're not. Um, and you just have to learn in many cases to pick your battles, um, and not go down that road. And it, it's been a process getting there. It certainly, it certainly is not. It certainly is not easy. But you know, then again, sometimes you you do it, and you can be criticized for that. Uh, in the whole KD uh, press conference in Brolio, um, I thought, look, I'm just going to write something in response. I'm not going to get into some kind of. I'm a great reporter. I have so many sources. Up, 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 up. Is I I don't know. It just sounds crazy to me but then Stephen a smith i i remember hearing he was criticizing me for not defending myself so <laughs> and then i thought you know maybe Stephen a is right i mean he's got millions of dollars he probably has a good idea of how to handle reputational conflict maybe i should be saying kevin you don't want to make an enemy out of me i don't know um but there's no manual on how to handle any of this and i became particularly sympathetic towards kd um, just getting thrown into that, getting thrown into that mix, and just having a taste of that much exposure, and almost like a a week of what it would feel like to be an actual famous person, as opposed to just somebody with a little bit of a forum. And man, it's unpleasant. It is not. It is not a good time. It would drive me insane. Yeah, ultimately, I think you would just have to do the JJ Reddick and totally turn it off to maintain your sanity. I think, especially when. You know, you have to go out and perform again the next day, right? And, and to what what if that starts creeping in? If like, oh, you know, I read a, th- this writer or this report says that like 
I'm not being aggressive enough. So now I'm going to be more aggressive when, you know, that's not what the coach is telling me, me to do. I mean, there, there are so many ways that that can go wrong for people. Um, let, let's take a quick break here. I got a bunch of other subjects uh, I want to get to here about your writing process since I've never actually written a book and I'm sure most of the listeners haven't either. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. So when you started this process, were there any great sport books that you've always really admired that influenced your approach at all you say great sport books this is like uh the the nye the nye mets <laughs> uh, no I'm, I'm just uh i'm just like canadian the <laughs> great sport i like it i like it uh, I'm australian uh, <laughs> no actually i think i just i meant to say sports and just the s didn't come up. it sounded fancier i'm i'm with it no i didn't read any um i didn't read any sport or sports books in preparation but i think like you i've read them i i remember um for my bar mitzvah i was i was given playing for keeps i was also given a didgeridoo, didgeridoo now that i'm thinking about it they were both great gifts uh but i i loved playing for keeps yeah i'm and, sure your parents loved it yeah, yeah it was very it was very enjoyable very enjoyable for them um but yeah, I, I loved playing for keeps, and I just have this powerful memory of I actually had a migraine, and what, I was. What is playing for keeps for people who don't know? It? Oh yeah, I got it. Playing for keeps is the David Halberstam book on Michael Jordan and the world he made. I think is the subhead oh, for yeah. that. 
and um, he doesn't get Mike, unfortunately, which is sad to me because if he got him, I mean, it, it would have maybe been perfect, but I thought he did an incredible job. I prefer it to Breaks, uh, breaks of the Game, which he wrote about the uh, 1970s Trailblazers and Bill Walton, and maybe some of that is just that I don't have a real connection to 1970s basketball uh, versus 1990s basketball, but I thought that book was great. I remember as you know, as a kid having a migraine and trying to read it through the migraine and, uh, you know, insert your Scotty Pippen joke here, I suppose. Um, and yeah, that one, that one is incredible. I love that one, but ultimately I think, I mean, it's, I don't even want to bring up any of these books as, as influences because they're such great books. I don't even want to be compared to them, but books on subcultures in general, um, I, I see as something that I keep returning to and that I love. I love any book that takes a subculture that you didn't know about and says, this is what it's actually like. Here it is. Here it is demystified. Anthony Bourdain, Kitchen Confidential. I, I didn't know that I wanted to know about the vast restauranting subculture of people who cook and everything else that entails that, that particular world, but it's fascinating. Um, among the Thugs, or is it Among Thugs by Bill Buford? Whatever it is, where he um, joins British soccer hooligans, I think, in the 1980s, um, yeah. is an excellent book. Uh, and that's just a genre that I'm really into. And I I don't know if I ever do it to the level that those guys did it, but I just they, my interest in what they did definitely informs what I'm trying to do. What was your writing process like? I mean, I'm sure you... like like me we've been around this team for the last six years you've been around them uh, for even longer than that you have a bunch of memories but presumably you didn't you weren't thinking in 2013 oh, i'm gonna write a book about this so how did you just like aggregate together all your material and, and organize it yeah well i think you do have those memories um and you draw off them to a certain extent but I wanted to make it more recent in the present. So uh, during the playoff run, I would just keep a Google Doc uh, running diary of different things I noticed, different things that happened, anything of interest. Um, you know, I do have that memory of how I got started in this whole thing was just by having a situation and writing it all down the next day and that being of value. When I worked for the NBA, uh, I think back in 2009, for the 2009 draft, the thing that got my whole whatever it is I do started was just working in NBA PR and getting tasked with leading whoever the number five pick was. Was Ricky Rubio the number five pick? Am I remembering this correctly? 2009 draft? Yeah, 2009 yes. draft. Yeah, Ricky yeah. Rubio. Yeah, it was whoever the, I would get whoever the number five pick was, and in my uh, ill-fitting suit with my headset, my earpiece, I would force that draft pick to go through a ton of interviews for three hours, and I got Ricky Rubio, and I didn't speak Spanish. There were two women who spoke fluent Spanish who had, I think, maybe picks two and three, so the NBA was anticipating that it would go that way. Why they couldn't just adjust on the fly, you tell me. Um, and Ricky Rubio was miserable. He hated going to Minnesota. He kept talking about how cold he heard it was. Um, and he kept wanting to see his family and I just kept telling him that he couldn't and he just had to listen to me. And th <laughs> the next day I just, or that night I got back and I wrote down everything. I didn't do anything with it for a year. Um, I'd left the NBA and then one day I just decided, Hey, I'll send this to the free Darko blog. And that story went somewhat viral for whatever back in 2010 was viral in the sports blog world. And so there is that memory of if there's something interesting, try to write as much of it down because you do lose a lot and you do lose the details. And there are scenes in the book that I like that I couldn't have if I didn't write them down. Just little things like I, I enjoy the scene at Staples Center that the Clippers had at that particular moment and how Steve Ballmer acts and how there's this um, spectacle of the NBA where Montrez Harrell's walking in, he's doing his walk-in in front of the camera and he's wearing a matching outfit with his adorable little son and just these little things that you're going to not, you're not going to be able to paint the picture unless you take some notes. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So are you like, are you writing it one chapter at a time? Did you have just a whole outline of where everything was going to go in the book? Were you 
writing chapters and then just, all right, where can I put this in afterwards? Uh, just uh, even the, the process of like the, the nuts and bolts of putting everything in order in a book seems like so daunting to me. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I watching the last dance, I was kind of smiling to myself. Not, not, I mean, a, just because it's completely engrossing and fun to watch and I'm just getting a big kick out of it. But, um, I too did what I was doing semi-chronologically in a last dance situation. And I think, I think the reason for that, um, for what they did and for what I did in jumping around the timeline is because that last season is a bit of a slog and there are aspects of it that feel like they don't matter at all. And all you can really sense is how much they don't matter and how bored people are. And so even though it's this, this emotional anchor, um, the, the end of everything, uh, it makes sense to live a bit in the present and a bit in the past and to represent aspects that just become part of this whole confluence at the end. You know, what helped us get here? Well, Lake of Bai and the team helped get us here. Kerr implementing his system helped get us here. The sneaker wars helped get us here. Obviously, whatever the hell Kevin Durant wants helped get us here. And I didn't totally know what the structure would be. I just knew at a certain point trying to do it chronologically that it wasn't working. And so I started trying to anchor it like essays around aspects that I felt were important where, okay, I think there needs to be a Kerr chapter. Um, and I can talk a little bit about not only what got things here and how playing with joy ultimately led to the death of joy, but also a little bit of this is what coaching is. This is what he thinks coaching is. Um, and similar to Bob Myers, what was Bob Myers trying to do? What's the reality of what being a general manager is? A bit of that demythologizing that I, I'm trying to do in the book. And so... I, I kind of did it that way. I kind of I kind of adopted a looser structure of the chronology. And so I, I was smiling and I was enjoying watching The Last Dance do something similar where they're going chronologically a bit, but they're also skipping back and skipping forward and skipping back and skipping forward. Um, so not to compare what I'm doing to, you know, a 10 part documentary with Michael goddamn Jordan sitting there getting drunk, yeah. you know, spilling secrets about the bad boys Pistons. But yeah, I think it's because that last season's a slog that you can't, it, it makes sense to use it as an anchor, but not completely. Well, yeah, I think it makes more sense to, for the current era that realistically anyone who's going to be buying this book at this point, like knows the story of the golden state Warriors. They know what happened. They don't need to know that in game four of the 2019 playoffs, the Warriors lost at Houston by four points or whatever it was. You know, they, they don't need that to go through. And, you know, maybe a generation 20 years from now might need that. But for right now, everyone knows the story of this team. This is probably, I would say, probably the most exposed team in sports, yes. when you consider how much more media there is which, now, and which, by the, the biggest, way, yeah. which by the way is why I went light on players, and yeah. maybe that's something where maybe it should have been different. And I give you the full biography of Draymond and how he grew up and everything else, but I just felt as though, God, so much of that stuff is known, and so much of that stuff is part of the daily churn of sports media. It's part of the thing, and we're very player-centric. We're very player-centric in how we cover the league, and they are the central figures of interest, so it makes sense. But for the book, I just wanted to keep it a little bit, you know, other than KD, who's just such a, you know, fascinating uh, figure who's having all these others on tilt. Um, but I just wanted it a little less player-centric for that reason, that these guys had just been so picked over over the time of my uh, being around them so one of the things uh, oh here here's a question for you this is a, a bit of a non sequitur but it just occurred to me do you think that the regular season not having as many games would have helped this team stay together who um maybe for longer maybe for longer because it's one thing if Kevin's not getting what he wants out of the situation and the journey to get back to the championship isn't such a slog. I yeah. do think that exacerbates tensions. I do. Um, I think that's a real thing. Now, the question is, how much could you, I mean, 
how much would you need to cut it until it's no longer an issue? And I don't have an answer to that that yeah. question. We all know it's too long. There's nobody who says, you know what, 82 games is great, but you know, I really want 100. That person doesn't exist. There are only people who go, it sh- either should be 82 or it should be fewer than 82. And so we've got a pretty good sense that 82 is probably too much. And it does, I believe, fuel the soap opera that there are way too many games and we're having these guys around each other all the time on the road. They aren't necessarily friends with one another and they're playing a bunch of games that nobody's going to remember, but they have to get up for and they have to do their job. And I think that's why you start seeing wacky stuff happen and some of the unravelings that that we've witnessed on many of these teams. Two things I'd add to that. One is when you're traveling that much, just simply not getting enough sleep all the time can make you very irritable. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. There may be a lot of situations where guys are getting on each other's nerves and getting pissed off where if they were just actually getting enough sleep, that wouldn't be the case. Yeah. Um, I think that's a huge factor. I think in squabbles I've had with, with my wife, sometimes we'll admit later on that one of us or both of us, especially when, you know, when, when our kid was in that zero to one range where we just weren't getting sleep and that's a real thing. Um, that does, that does make tensions more so. And then, you know, and then you see uh, absence can make the heart grow fonder and uh, Shaq will sit down with all the teammates that he uh, uh, said horrible things about at the time he played with them and you, you forget about it. And so I think the sleep, I think the sleep aspect is a real thing as far as what makes the situation more tense than a lot of people might think. And the other thing I would point to is because not everyone is watching every game during the regular season that what happened in tonight's game just isn't as interesting as oh what's the drama did KD and Russ text mm. each other yes to make up a, or not because that's something that is always going to be interesting it's not dependent on did you watch last night's game you know and there's that like if it were football football you don't have nearly this amount of stuff now part of that is because it's more about the games and part of it is because the players don't have as much personality and they wear helmets and all that stuff. But in football, so much more of the analysis is about the games. You've seen a little bit more of it, but like, you know, you basically have to be like a wide receiver or a cornerback well, and, and, to and, make these kind of headlines. And I don't even know how much the personality conflicts matter in football. You've got the short sprint and you've got to do your job, as Bill Belichick says, execute your job. I mean, NBA dynasties come apart because of ego issues for the most part. NFL, uh, I was on Cowherd's podcast, and he was saying it's mostly injury and just time that does the job there. So the personality conflicts in football, and they do happen, and Aaron Rodgers seems prickly, and I'm sure people could pull examples out out there, but it just doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter versus the NBA personality conflicts that perhaps we overrate the mattering in the short term. You know, teams can win apparently with horrible chemistry or with everybody wanting to strangle one another, but they do undermine the sustainability of the operation and do have implications as far as whether the team stays together. So one of the things that one of your, I guess, hypotheses in the book is that with all the stuff that goes on, social media, the the fact that all these players have their own entourages and, and their own spheres and, and people in their ears telling them that they're the best. And the fact that you're competing for money and shots and all that with your teammates or uh, being the king of sneaker sales or being the, the who's the better player on the team, Steph for Kitty, that kind of stuff that, that it really, you just, it becomes an impossible task to keep something like this together. My counter argument to that would be like, what if it was just KD? What do you and mean? It was just him. What do you mean? Like, just bringing him in and the fact that he didn't get what he wanted and he became surly and that that eventually infected the team. If you don't bring him in, do you think that this group runs into problems? I think that KD was a ceiling raiser and perhaps a sustainability underminer. (laughs) Where, And I think that's the dynamic. But... I think to what you're talking about, maybe this goes on for longer. Maybe the core goes on for longer. Maybe the joy lasts longer. But I just remember 
I, I, I remember after they won the last championship, they won in Cleveland. And I had the context of having seen the first celebration when they won a championship in 2015, and that one was just so joyous. The one in, was it 2018? Yeah, the yeah. one in 2018, it was so muted. And I don't think it's just because KD was a downer. It was it was anybody who had won championships, and Swaggy P was ecstatic, but you know it was more or less the end of his career, and he didn't know it. And But Pat McCaw was, was crying and not, I don't think in a happy way, you know, Chelsea Lane was comforting him and, you know, the guys were celebrating, you know, Clay was lounging in a bathtub of beer and, uh, Steph, I remember Steph walking by and he said, every one of them great about winning the championships. And it just sounded like he was trying to convince himself. Um, (laughs) it's like, yeah, they're all, they're all great. All of them, every one of them. And it was in response to, I think somebody asking him how this felt versus the others. And those diminishing returns are real. And so maybe all this other stuff is all this other stuff. And maybe that wouldn't undermine it and the egos and everything else. But I think the thing the thing that is unassailably true is that every one of them isn't great. You know, the first one matters way more than the subsequent ones. And then they diminish as time goes on. And then can you keep marshalling the same energy to keep chasing a high that's diminishing with each time? Uh, it's tough. I mean, it's really tough. And uh, really, it's it's incredible to me that we've had as many dynasties as we've seen in the NBA, considering that. You had a lot of stories in here that I hadn't heard before that were not public before. Some of them, we just had, had kind of talked about it among ourselves. Uh, but how did you decide on where to draw the line of, because obviously you're not going to print, even in a book like this, every single thing that you've heard that you believe is likely true. So you kind of have like the three gradations. There's don't tell the story at all. There's tell the story in an anonymous way. Like in the first chapter, you have this story about a player who, uh, and a a coach in the league, a young assistant coach takes an Instagram photo with the player and who he believes to be the player's girlfriend. But no, in fact, that was another girlfriend's, of the players and the player's primary girlfriend got upset about the photo. And then you have the stories that you just straight up tell the whole thing with all the people involved. How do you decide what you're going to not tell, what you're going to anonymize, and then what you're going to tell the full story of? Because none of these are really just like on the record, Mm. I'm hitting my recorder interviews. Yeah. Well, I think when it's a matter of sex or fidelity, uh, the bar of entry is higher. And maybe yeah. maybe that's one tradition I adhere to. But, you know, reporters, we, we know some of these secrets. Uh, guys that we sometimes put on a pedestal as family men, or, or maybe they put themselves there. We know better, but we never say anything about it. And it just seems like it's not of a piece with what's going on with the team. It's not necessarily pertinent. And it just seems messy. It just seems messy. And so... I'm ultimately glad that I I drew the line in that particular in that particular place. Um, but I think that's that's one aspect. But you know, to, to well, well, quick quickly on that before you continue, I, I think maybe it's just a, and you know I'm not a reporter the way a lot of other people like you are. But for me, it's kind of like if it doesn't relate in some way to either their performance or availability to perform on the court then it's probably should be off limits. Yeah. Does that, does that seem like a, like a, de- a reasonable rule that you think most people adhere to? I think certainly for in, in the, our industry. Well, I think certainly for um, the daily churn of, of reporting. Yeah. I think that's, that, that's one way to do it. But, you know, as to quote Peter Goober referenced in my book, there are no rules, but you break them at your peril. And, <laughs> you know, and a lot of people think that there are rules. They think that there is one school of journalism and this is this is the deal. And I'm always surprised by what people then think the rules are. You know, I was surprised. I got some some blowback because I reached out to KD for comment and, uh, you know, for a chapter about him. And he responded with a string of hilarious curses and, you know, it was a little bit poignant. And so I used that in the book and I had people... 
uh, saying is, you know, is that okay? You know, or that's not okay. And it's just, well, if I reach out to somebody for comment and their response is their response, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't, I don't understand why that's something that I, I don't share or what rule that is that was just concocted. Um, but the, 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 the truth is that there just aren't rules. The, the main rule is don't make shit up, you know, don't make shit up. And if somebody tells you that it's off the record, it's off the record. And then from there, you just kind of have to figure it out. And I approach this book with more of a mentality that it's a memoir and it's, it's a memoir. And so there are certain situations where, okay, I am in the situation and maybe it wouldn't be a situation that I would mention if it was an article, but am I really going to write a book about a particular time in my life I was present for and pretend like I wasn't and not write about scenes from my own life? Am I not allowed to write about my own life? Um, but to what you're saying, it's hard. It's hard to know. I mean, a lot of these calls about where to put what and whether to include this or that, they do keep me up at night. And I wonder, should I have, should I have included this? You know, should I have not? And honestly, the culture of aggregation, I think, makes it all the more fraught. You know, they're... they're I think that makes it even when you know completely that the stuff that you're putting in the book isn't just going to be maybe read by the person and they're going to make a face about it, not like that it was there, but that it's going to become the lead news item in the NBA that day and be argued about by Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman. Well, that changes the calculus as well. and makes it even trickier. It seems like just in general with the, all the books I've read, any of you go back to like the Jordan rules, for example, there's a, a, a famous scene in the Jordan rules where Jordan Pippen and Horace Grant are uh, arguing about the size of their kids genitalia in <laughs> comparison to another, right? And so like, that's something where that's never going to come up in a, a newspaper article, you know, you're just kind of a lot around in the locker room. It's not the way it was back then, obviously, but you know, guys will still say stuff when we're around sometimes or have conversations with us that you know aren't like hey uh you know i'm sticking the recorder in your face here let's uh you know let's do an interview i'm going to quote you or i'm going to release this uh, on tv or whatever um but it seems like you're allowed to talk about some of those in a book but you can't in an article right then there's almost like a statute of limitations on it yeah um, and and i don't know who's making these rules but that just seems like this is what's done for a book versus this is what's done for an article that comes out in uh, you know a relatively small amount of time afterwards. Well, and I mean, the Jordan rules is such an interesting one because Michael Jordan had reached such a status and rather quickly where... Yeah. That was really the first time you heard anything negative about Jordan other yeah. than just, oh, he can't elevate his teams, but like anything negative at all about Jordan the person. Yeah, and because... He was such an object of fascination. Um, if you're writing a book, suddenly you're out of the terrain of who's going to win the game. I mean, that that seems to be the heuristic or the the structure of what we're doing a lot of the time, a lot of the time in sports writing. But with Jordan, suddenly, I mean, he's just this massive celebrity, and almost anything then, I suppose, becomes pertinent or germane because anything we know about Jordan is something we wanted to know. I mean, or something that we thought yeah. we wanted to know, even if it's that conversation in the locker room or I mean the thing I was fascinated by in the Jordan rules is just just so much so much golfing just so much golfing <laughs> it's just an incredible amount of golfing I mean how did this guy become so good as a maniacal practicer when he was just on the damn golf course all the time and even today Jordan I, I think plays 36 holes of golf every day which might I guess tell you something about uh, you know the Hornets troubles but that's just an insane insane addiction uh but i digress um yeah do you over under on number of times that the the charlotte hornets or bobcats are referenced at all in this documentary, this last <laughs> documentary. Gonna, like, is it gonna is 0. 0.5 you taking the over or, oh or okay. I, I think i take the under i think i take the under there <laughs> i mean no i think it would be like they might have like an epilogue with text on a black screen where like Michael Jordan went on to own the Chicago or the Charlotte but it, it's I mean now we're crazy digressing it's amazing to me that he didn't use his Michael Jordanness as some sort of launching pad for his the team he owns as 
just cool and somehow enveloped in the Nike Jordan brand. And it just seems, it seems like he's not paying attention. You know, I, I mean, he, he should be using this or having a scene where he's an owner and he's strolling the center court of the Hornets arena and looking around and trying to kind of brand this thing, but he doesn't care about them as much as he cares about golf. Let's face it. I mean, if that's what you're doing seven hours a day, that's, that's your job. That's what you care about. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, Danny and I theorized uh, about a week and a half ago that perhaps he's just so ultra competitive and just realized that it wasn't enough within his control that he just had to detach from the situation uh, because otherwise he would have been driven insane. I like it. Or, or he could just be cheap. That, that, that might be the No, I, I like the theory, though. I like the theory of knowing yourself and wanting to detach completely, which... I mean, it's unfortunate for Hornets fans, I suppose. They would probably want him to lead a more unbalanced life and not be happy with his family down in Florida. Um, but, hey, what are you going to do? He's in a good place. Um, who around the team do you just personally most enjoy interacting with? This is not like, who are you the most friends with? You know, But just, yeah, I really enjoy just having a conversation I, with that. I feel person. like you know the answer to this one. I think you know the answer to this one. Well, but our listeners don't. Ah, Um, (laughs) Andre Iguodala. I mean, come on. Just uh, every conversation with him, you're you're in a labyrinth, and you're trying to navigate it, and you're trying to understand the layers of whatever is happening. And he's being cryptic, and he's being funny. Occasionally, he's being profound. And you know what I love most about Andre? What I love most of all, he doesn't give a fuck he doesn't give a fuck at all he's never approached me about anything i've written he's never cared i remember he told me uh when he was asked in brooklyn when the warriors were on their crazy winning streak how do you stop us and he said some variation he was being provocative that you have to go to the gun range and practice and kill us all because that's the only way it will ever happen and I think that I wrote it up as a newser. I mean, it was in front of a bunch of cameras and Warriors PR man, Raymond Ritter's calling me and, you know, he's freaking out about it. everybody's freaking out about it. And I think I, I talked to Andre the next day thinking he'd be mad. He's like, oh, yeah, I said that. Huh? That was funny, man. <laughs> like he doesn't <laughs> he, he's barely paying attention to this stuff. And that to me is what I love because of the aforementioned cleanup is such a pain in the ass about the job of people not liking that you said this or that. Um, that Andre cuts loose and isn't worried about his brand overall. I guess he's more focused maybe on his investments or how he's viewed as a as a businessman uh, versus in the generalized NBA ecosystem. And I mean that that just makes it that that makes it so much easier. And so over the years, and look, there have been times that Andre's really pissed me off, and there have been times that Bogut's really pissed me off. But overall. You just come to appreciate the smart cynics, um, even though they can they can get on your nerves. And I would I would almost rather somebody be an asshole and be smart and interesting uh, than be nice and boring for the purposes of my job. Yeah, for me, I probably enjoyed talking to Draymond and KD the most, just because I I felt like they were always at least in the private conversations were always going to tell you like what they had. It's interesting, right? Because you. You're a smart cynic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and me, I like to just say uh, my unvarnished opinion. Like that that's that's like kind of a, uh, my brand. I'm going to say well, what I'm going to say. You, you had and, a good dynamic with KD because you are really you are really astute student of the game and I mean I, K, KD is a basketball genius. I mean, he's very astute. He does know what the hell is going on out there and has a lot of takes and opinions and so I think that's that's one of the reasons why you guys had an excellent dynamic, you know, talking basketball. And I don't know if this is like being written about. You might not want me talking about all this, but I just have these memories of you bringing up the various moves that LaMarcus Aldridge uses in the scouting report and KD acting out how LaMarcus Aldridge goes about it and how he does that particular flail flop he does and what you have to be mindful of. <laughs> um it was uh yeah it was it, w- it was a good thing that you guys had i'm sorry that it had to go i'm yeah, sorry i chased just, him out. So, i'm sorry i chased him know. i'm sorry i chased him out of town nate i apologize yeah <laughs> if only i could have had a chance to talk to him um yeah well it, it, i mean to me it's more just like 
anybody that I'm talking to in the NBA is just if somebody is just not because like I don't need to break news. I'm not relying on these people to come on the show. Like that's not what the show is really about. It's like if you're not gonna just give me your real opinion, it's like there's no reason for us to have a conversation, right? Like that's just it's not gonna be valuable to either of us. Like I'm gonna just be annoying you mm. to where you feel like you have to like not give too much away. And I'll be annoyed because I'm not getting anything out of it. And I can like, then I can also just sense the person's, even if not discomfort, the fact that they are feeling guarded. And I'm just like, I'm just annoying you and I'm getting a bunch of crap from you. So, uh, you know, I would rather just try to well, talk you, to you, someone you, who's actually give me their real opinion. You, you love efficiency, but I love, I love the game of it. And so with Andre, I almost feel like a paleontologist where I see a little bit of a dinosaur bone, but I have to start brushing around and start getting to the actual opinion. I have to get to the actual thing he thinks um, and really meticulously work to get there. And so that's a rewarding process to be, but it's not the most efficient way of getting there, I think, from, from your perspective. Reading Andre's book... I almost felt like even then, I still didn't get that much of the unvarnished truth from him. Maybe maybe in a few ways, but it was almost like this is what he wants to be seen as thinking mm. instead of like, like I still don't really have a great idea of like what's actually important to that guy. Mm. Well, I think I should have captured some of that. You have these thoughts of what you want to put in there. And I didn't include it because it was something he said to general media, but it might have been good to put in there. I think a lot of the sport to him, um, a lot of the high he's chasing are just those moments where the team is in a flow state and they're all playing well. And it's almost like a surfer looking for the perfect wave and having that addictive impulse um, that in gambling the i can't remember the terminology but uh the intermittent reward or the unpredictable reward i think that's something that he's chasing maybe not completely as a person i'm sure he likes making money and i'm sure he likes being in the nba but that's the thing that he would say drives him is chasing that particular high on the court hmm. yeah because i i don't think i've ever like really heard him say that but uh, maybe I just he was, said uh, it. Maybe I just he wasn't said, there for for he, that particular scrum. Um, I think he said it after. Uh, I can't remember which finals win in Toronto. Uh, God, did they win two games in Toronto? Or yeah, they, two and five. Yeah, two and five. So I can't remember if it was five or if it was two. But he talked about it after one of those, where it was the second half comeback. I think it was. It was probably five. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That that would be five. Yeah. Two, yeah. Yeah. They, two. They were ahead most of the way, and then they were like hanging on at the end. And and he is that hurt. that sort of feeling of it's clicking. We're making the right reads on defense. We're moving the ball. Oh, it's happening. That's how he narrated. It. Like, oh, it's happening. Um, that's. I think that's something that. And I don't think everybody's like that. But that that's something that he says that he's chasing out there doesn't necessarily speak to i guess completely who he is as a person but that was always interesting to me you know that that made sense that in this very this very cynical guy has something pure that he's pursuing all right last question what did you make of draymond's comments that kd should have basically said at the beginning of the 2018-19 season that he was going to leave at the end of it well i knew he felt that way um and it makes a certain i said that actually i think at the time i was like what if he just said that he was leaving uh, yeah what, no, like I... what would i don't know that i was advocating that he do that but i was like man i wonder what the reaction would be what do you think the public reaction to that would have been if he was just like yeah you know what this is my last dance i'm uh or even if he's just like yeah you know what i as of right now i think i probably would leave i want to try and get the three p with these guys i'll never say never about coming back but i that's probably my plan right now like is there any way that could have actually gone over well? It always seems like he's chasing the LeBron playbook, and this is a way that he could have done something completely original um, that LeBron hasn't done that would have arrested attention. But I don't know if it would have actually made things better. I mean, is is Kevin the type of guy to carry that storyline around with him? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I can respect that Draymond, uh, that, that Draymond didn't like that they were in limbo in that way. Um, and wanted some finality or some closure. Uh, but if they were really honest with themselves, they knew what was happening and what was going to happen. Um, I don't think necessarily that, that that Clay and him were being asked all the time about their contract. Maybe that was their perspective, but I don't remember that. I don't. Remember. Yeah, no, the, the, this idea that like they were getting asked all the time about 
like KD's free agency and stuff like that. That's bullshit. They weren't getting asked at all the time. Certainly not at home games. Yeah. And I don't recall seeing stories about it on the road either. I mean, you know, it probably maybe it would happen like once every three weeks or something. Yeah. Like that. Like, this is, no, I, and, I, I remember yeah. that too when, when Kevin went off on me in that press conference and I remember a lot of fans thinking that we were just grilling him all the time about his about his next team and his contract and that just wasn't that just wasn't the case um yeah if you go back to the last last dance actually they had this where because back then there wasn't necessarily twitter or the internet if you were going to interview jordan in some city that he was going into you didn't know that he's been asked that question in every other city like you're not reading the paper you're not on twitter you're not reading like web articles probably in 1998 so he's just getting asked that question every time. That wouldn't happen no. today because everyone would well, know, and, and, God, he's getting asked this every time. I'm not going to ask this. He's just going to say the same shit again. And you're not worried about being humiliated by an athlete because you asked a question that they reacted to badly. You, you, don't, you don't have that sense. I remember that that sense creeping in of being watched in that way when everybody started holding up the phones and recording the, uh, recording the interaction. Um, it changed things. It really changed things. I think questions got softer ever since that point, uh, which is understandable. I mean, we all know we're being watched from the players to the reporters. And so, yeah, I don't think that they were being asked that, but maybe he has a different perspective. I think it was really just, I think it was KD moping and detaching was the big issue. You know, Draymond talks about the elephant in the room. I think if the elephant was happier then who would really care ultimately? I mean, I mean that's if, if, if Kevin was skipping in to the practice facility and saying, let's get after it, and hey, whatever happens this offseason is whatever happens, um, I think that probably would have been fine. It was more the sense that this guy is detached, he has two feet out the door, and we don't know what's going to happen when the playoffs start. Now, when the playoffs started, I think he, he really showed up big uh, more than he disappeared but they just didn't know they didn't know they didn't know kevin they didn't know even to what extent he was hurt when he was hurt you know he was a he was an island and so i think that that that's something that became an issue i do have one more question for you actually. you can ask as many as you want man i'm so. i'm outside the house i'm you know i'm, I'm in I'm in my <laughs> in my studio aka my car like whatever fire away um if there is one person one sports figure in history that you would want to go back in time and cover on a regular basis who would that be i i haven't answered this question actually myself i'm but I, I'm, I, I'm fascinated by your answer because i, I can give you my answer first if you yeah yeah i want your answer so i i know what direction you're going bob knight oh hell yes oh that would be interesting okay i mean in, i'm into that I'm I'm into that, you know, because he seems like somebody. I'm sick and fucking tired of losing to Purdue. <laughs> because he's. I'm sick and fucking tired of an eight and ten record in this fucking league. <laughs> because he's such an asshole, but there are layers, and there are players who have a certain fealty to him. And if you're not going to recover, Greg Graham, if you're not just going to let him drive right by you. <laughs> Sorry. The only Sorry. the only problem is that. Those college coaches, they're so imperious, and they have such a control, and you would feel, maybe you would have the stones to really check him and to really be honest about it, but, man, you've seen, you see Calhoun cut into reporters um, in a way that just made, made him seem like a, like a king, for instance. Um, God, who, who would I want, who would I want to cover? Um... I don't have a good answer for that. I don't. I mean, I have, I have people from the past I'm interested in. I, I, I'm curious about. I think like I, I want to know what those old timey Yankees teams were like. What were those guys like? You know, what were they like? Those, those are. The, it's like the most famous team I, we talk I think about. They were probably just like, ah, see, hit, from... gotta hit the ball, eh? Like, what, what was it? They were probably like ingenues from some farm who went to New York and then just like started partying a lot and like just got caught up in that lifestyle and like played baseball. But I'm thinking, you know, about selling a book right here. I think the book that I sell, I get the most copies uh, using my time machine is the Bronx Bombers just because we know so little about them and yet they are like, famous. Like Babe, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig. Yeah, and Yankees fan, I mean Yankees fandom is still a huge thing. So, I think that's the most bang for my buck. You know, if I'm trying yeah, to s- the, sell the those only problem book. is like 
it'd be baseball though. I'm. Well, you actually like baseball. You have something. I do. <laughs> I do like baseball. I do like baseball. It would be fascinating. It would be totally fascinating to see how people reacted to baseball, Nate. A, a time when people thought baseball was the most exciting thing around would be interesting. So I think if you were to use the time machine, that's that's what I would want to check out. I want to see what the hell what the hell that's like back then. Um, yeah, the, the, the 20, 27 Yankees, huh? Yeah, yeah, I think them, just because of the mystery of the past. And I, I can't really think about going back further in time with sports, uh, and having it still seem relevant to our spo- sports culture, which, you know, I haven't really thought about a lot, Nate, but it's amazing how new sports culture is considering how huge it is. Um, yeah, there was baseball before the 20s, of course, and World Series and the Black Sox scandal and, and all of that. But, um, I mean, that'd be interesting to cover, but maybe the mob kills you. I, I don't know uh, if you're honest about that. Um, but this thing is pretty new. It's pretty new in our history this culture we've built around sports. Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of got repurposed from like elite military organizations in a lot of ways too. (laughs) I think so. It'd be fun to cover the bad boys Pistons. Um, that would be pretty cool. Um, you know, especially after seeing the documentary that's fresh in my mind. Uh, some of those football teams from like the late fifties, huh? That's one I wouldn't really think about. Uh, or, or, or like, or, or the six. Oh, you know what I might want? Nineteen uh, nineties Dallas Cowboys. You'd have to hang out with Skip Bayless, though. <laughs> but, he, he'd be right there. But I would the get to see you. like Troy Aikman try to attack him. I mean, it'd be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd be, I'd be into it. I'd be, I'd be down. I mean, that's that's a team of interest. But yeah, there are only so many teams that were that fascinated that were that fascinated with. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of them. I mean, the the Patriots are Fort Knox. I mean, you hear things, it seeps out, but you only know so much. Um, and I'm sh- yeah. I mean, you get to the point really by like even I think the mid '80s where these football teams you just you can't get in, you can't get anything unless they just decide they're going to give you access. It's just like all right, you get to talk to Tom Brady in this press conference like once a week and in, in practice. Like, you, I mean, because the NBA. I think it's probably the best because you've got like being on the road with the team and that's where you can actually just the road shoot around. You can go around, you can talk to anybody. Like if you're at like a home practice or shoot around, usually they just like sequester you away and bring the people to you, but they don't have that set up on the road. So you can just walk around and talk to anyone who's there like the whole time during the practice about anything like that's that to me is like the ideal setup. I mean, you go completely insane because of the travel. I, I, yeah. But I started the, to lose my mind when I was a beat writer, but I loved yeah. the road access. I loved the road access, and it really felt like you were in the NBA. But, God, it's not sustainable. And it's not sustainable. It's not just a lack of sleep. It's not just it's not just a lack of sleep. It's also there's there's kind of a perception whiplash going on where you're changing cities that frequently. In the NBA, the, the travel schedule is such that um, these cities are often very different. Your brain gets scrambled. I remember having a five games and seven night uh, jaunt where it was uh, L.A. to Salt Lake City to Memphis to Minneapolis Whoa. to New Orleans. And you just think of how you're shifting culturally and weather-wise and how your body and brain is a prepare like okay i'm in la you know la's la staple center oh there's rihanna and jay-z uh courtside of beyonce whoa what a scene oh wow now i'm in salt lake city this is very different from la very different <laughs> okay okay now i'm in memphis it's uh, the blues city but it's uh it's it's kind of uh you know overcast and and whatnot and oh my god i'm in minneapolis it's very different from memphis and it's zero degree it was literally zero degrees on this trip i remember I remember drinking Moscow Mules with Slater and getting lost on my way back to the hotel and not being able to find the entrance and worrying that I might die. But then, not not to mention knowing your, your actual hotel room number. Yeah. Uh, oh. Uh, and then the next morning, flying to New Orleans, very different from Minneapolis, and it was eighty degrees. And I have a memory of a couple getting off of the plane and laughing with glee as they put sunglasses on one another um and i just at the end of that trip i was like my my brain is scrambled you know you combine it with the 
uh, audio-visual just perception blast of the NBA game when you're there, which is really meant, I think, for somebody who's going there one night out of the year, and you're just getting pummeled again and again. Um, I know people are saying, hey, I break out the violin, I have to do this for work, I have to do that for work, but you start doing that for a while, uh, you start going crazy, you start going insane. Yes. Well, that's a good thing to end on. Yeah, yeah. So I'm crazy. Read a book by a crazy person, everybody. Uh, please. That's, uh, and, it, it, the, the Kurt Vonnegut of the NBA. Is Kurt Vonnegut crazy? I don't know. Aren't, aren't they mostly crazy or at least alcoholic? Um, you know, I, I, I think so. I Look, I, I don't know. All I know is uh, buy the Victory Machine, leave me nice Amazon reviews, grade me on the curve of being a completely insane person. Um, so be generous in that way. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's uh it, it you can you can get into character really when you're like in your your own garage in your car <laughs> to uh, to avoid disturbing the rest of your family recording a podcast uh audio quality is pretty good by the yeah. way for uh so yeah it, toyota prius great great car, car to record a pod <laughs> and that's about it it's actually it's probably it's probably the, the best uh the best uh use of that particular one <laughs> i i would i would agree i would agree with that <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we'll talk to y'all tomorrow night. Danny and I will be back. We're going to do the Western Conference best and worst decision of the last five years. So uh, rejoin us for that one. Talk to y'all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.